This month we've been considering the servant songs that Isaiah wrote a good 700 years before the Messiah actually came. And there have been many things that we have seen in these servant songs that give us much detail about who the Messiah was and what he would accomplish when he actually came. So this evening we're going to begin to read through the final servant song. It begins with the last few verses of Isaiah 52. Uh, We're going to save those verses for tomorrow. But Isaiah 53 is what we'll focus on this evening. Isaiah 53 is one of the most central passages in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament. And it speaks much of the humiliation, of the suffering of Christ, and not just what he endured, but why he had to endure it. Now, in some ways, this, I'm sure, seems like kind of an odd passage to use on a Christmas Eve service. But in reality, it really explains in great detail why the Savior was born, why he came and, uh, 2,000 years ago. So in this chapter, Isaiah 53, it's actually a group of people who are doing the speaking. And they are speaking the message of the servant, the message of the Messiah. They have believed the message themselves, but they are really bemoaning the fact that many people had not believed so let me just, I'm just kind of work our way through this passage, starting verses 1 to 2. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So in verse 1, they make it clear that the reason that they have believed, the ones who are giving us this message, is because the arm of the Lord had been revealed to them. In other words, God is the one who had granted them insight to understand their own sin, their own need for the Lord. He had granted them ability to understand who the Messiah would be and to be able to put their faith in him. So in other words, God gets complete credit for the fact that they have actually believed in the Messiah who's being prophesied. And then they refer back to the birth and the growing up of the Messiah. Back in Isaiah 49, the second servant song, we were told that the servant would be formed in the womb of his mother. So that makes it clear the Messiah, the Son of God, would be born. Therefore, he would take on human flesh. And more specifically, as you know, back in Isaiah 7, we are told that he would be born of a virgin. Well, here we see that the circumstances of his birth and the place where he grew up would be unimpressive. There was nothing there that would attract attention to him, and that seems to be one of the reasons people did not believe in him, possibly, as the Messiah. Skip down to, move down to verse 3. It says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Amazing that this one who was given to save man, was despised by man, um, forsaken by man, it says. And this verse confirms what was said back in the second servant song, that the servant who was described by God the Father was described in this way, the despised one, the one abhorred by the nation. <coughs> then in verses 4 through 6, we get more detail on the suffering he would endure. Is that surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Earlier in the chapter, we see that he was called a man of sorrows. Now we see why he was called a man of sorrows. Because he bore the griefs and the sorrows of sinners like like you and I. And there is so much misery that comes from sin. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. And that's what he's talking about. Well, the servant bore our sins. He suffered greatly, not because of anything he had done, but because of us. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. It says he was crushed for our iniquities. It says the chastening for our well-being or our peace fell upon him. And it also tells us not only that he would suffer, but it tells us why he would suffer. The servant of God bore the guilt of sinners' transgressions as their substitute. That's what he was doing when he died. So every single one of us, this passage reminds us that we've all gone astray from what God requires of us. And in God's great mercy, he sent his son as the servant of God and then caused the iniquity of us all to be placed upon him. Then we're given even more detail about his death. This is verses 7 and 8. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living? For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. So the servant of God here is spoken of as a lamb. A a lamb specifically being led to to be slaughtered. So this is likely a reference to the sacrificial lamb that was offered up at the first Passover in the Exodus. Each Israelite family, as you remember, was given uh, a lamb, well, had a lamb, and they were to kill this lamb and paint its blood on the doorpost of their home so that the death angel would pass over them when judgment was being placed on the, on the Egyptian people. Well, Jesus was our sacrificial lamb, the one offered in our place, in the place of sinners. He was submissive as a lamb in his death. He endured false accusations. People lied about him. He endured suffering. He endured death, all of it, with quiet submission. And when verse 8 says he was cut off from the land of the living, the word cut off means violent death. That's what it refers to. Then Isaiah prophesies about his burial. Verse 9, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It's amazing to consider this, but Jesus Christ was considered a wicked man, at least by some. And that was why he was crucified. But of course, it wasn't true. He was not a wicked man. And it says here, he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. He always spoke what was right. He always spoke what was true. But because he was considered to be a criminal, 
Under Roman law, there was no provision made for his burial, especially one who was, who was convicted of treason as a, as a king who was in competition with the real king. So the idea was he would just stay there on the cross, those, uh, those who were convicted of these crimes, and the body there would stay on the cross and would be eaten, picked over by birds and animals as a warning to others. Well, of course, the Lord did not want that to happen to his son. And so Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man, took Jesus' body, buried it in his tomb, which is just what Isaiah said would happen. He was with a rich man in his death. Well, after such great humiliation that he endured, the final verses actually speak of his exaltation. Verse 10 tells us that death was not the end for the servant. So look at verses 10 and 11. But Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. So it was God himself who poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ as he died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. God was pleased that the son endured this condemnation that sinners are the ones that sinners actually deserved. And then as a proof of God's good pleasure, we read that he would see his offspring. His days would be prolonged. Well, his offspring are those who would believe in his name. Well, how could that happen? If he's dead, how can he see his offspring? It's because God the Father would raise him from the dead. And this is what this passage is talking about. God raised him from the dead because he was delighted in his son. Being the servant and all that he'd accomplished raised him from the dead. And then we see the benefits for those who believe. It says, he bears our iniquities. Every sin that you or I have committed or will commit was paid for by the servant of God. I mean, that's amazing news. But not only that, not only is our sin paid for and forgiven, we're also counted righteous in place of that. Forgiven and also counted righteous, as these, as these verses talk about. I don't know what kind of gifts you'll be getting for Christmas. You may have already gotten some of them. But there's nothing better than full forgiveness of every sin you have ever committed. There is nothing better than being counted perfectly righteous simply by the grace of God. No better gifts. We close with verse 12. It says, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So this is a picture of the suffering servant in triumph. He receives the spoils of his victory. And, he re- and, what, and because of he's a God of such love and mercy, he shares the spoils with those who believe in him. That's why every Christian is richly blessed. 
for example, there's just several things that are just blessings that every single Christian has. Every single Christian is redeemed from sin. The price is paid for our sin in full. We have all been redeemed from sin in Christ. Also, we have all been adopted into the family of God. We are his sons and daughters. We belong to him. We are his children. That's part of the booty. That's part of the blessing that we get that the Savior earned for us. Also, we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single Christian is indwelt by the Spirit of God, and therefore we're temples of the Spirit. Every single one of us, every believer gets those same gifts because our Savior purchased them for us. And we also have a confidence here that our Savior is constantly interceding for us. He's our great high priest. He understands exactly what our needs are. There are things that you're dealing with that you haven't told anybody about. There are things coming up next week that you don't even know about. They're even going to happen yet. He understands. He knows exactly what's going on. And there is no one who knows better how to pray for you than him. So this baby in the manger, who was once the baby in the manger, I should say, is now the one who is interceding on your behalf. And he knows exactly what's going on. So this is the one whose arrival we celebrate at Christmas. The servant of God, the lamb of God, who paid the costly price for our sin. The song we're getting ready to sing in a few moments is O Come, o come, o come Emmanuel, which you are all familiar with. The third verse says this, O come thou rod of Jesse, rod of Jesse is a reference to uh, being descended from the line of David, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. That's what the Lamb of God has accomplished for everyone who believes. And that's why Christmas really is a time of joy. Lord, we want to thank you for the work that you have done through your son. Thank you so much for the servant of God that has been prophesied even before Isaiah. But I thank you for the detail you gave Isaiah to help us to see what he would accomplish. And as we we consider the birth of Christ uh, this month, it's just a reminder of all that he came to do, all that he was responsible to complete, and he fully completed every single task that he had. So thank you so much for our Savior, and we thank you for the opportunity just to, just to rejoice in that this evening.